DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Well, PK, yes, it, was it, this, it was in this time, spl- time slot 24 hours ago that we heard Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig talking in this segment about the youths and their plans going forward. And, of course, there's stuff they'll tell you and there's stuff they won't and there's stuff that they might be thinking, but they got to see exactly how it plays out. But you were told a long time ago, and to be clear, this is you getting told, not you just dreaming this up, that there were people, people in high places, who thought the youths should be running double tight ends just like Stanford. And just had another NFL signing breaking. This is going to continue on the rest of this week probably. But uh, the Patriots yeah. went out and got a free agent tight end from the Chargers. Hunter Henry gave him $25 million guaranteed, $37.5 million uh, overall, but $25 million guaranteed. And Yach immediately said, it's clear Belichick is trying to recreate the double tight ends he had with Gronk and Hernandez. Who's the other guy they signed, Yach? I already forgot. Jonu Smith. Yes. And they gave him big money, too. They gave him big money as well. Right. Was he $20 million guaranteed? Something like that. Something Two like years, that? yeah. Yeah. So, double tight ends. Now, there's Belichick doing it in the NFL. I know the NFL game's a little different than the college game. But we've seen Stanford do it in the Pac-12. You've heard this rattling around about the Utes and people thinking this is the direction to go. Uh, at the time, I think they had an offensive coordinator who had no plans on going that direction. But this happens at the University of Utah. That was, you know, at least one offensive coordinator ago, maybe two. I can't even remember, honestly. But this year, we've seen receivers transfer. And they do have a good slot receiver, but as you said yesterday, when you have a small slot receiver, how many times a game do you want to get him hit? Because, you know, he's just not going to take that much punishment that you can throw him the ball ten times a game. So do you think that the roster is really going to dictate they go towards double tight ends? And how will that work? And I don't think you can answer the second question, but maybe you can answer the first one. And there's still the transfer portal out there, and, and Kyle alluded to the, has alluded to the fact that they want to see what they can go get a wide receiver in the transfer portal. So what the roster looks like now may not be what it looks like in the fall, and yet nonetheless, there it is, tantalizing. The Patriots are doing it again. Stanford's done it. Are the Utes going to do it? Because there are people who know more football than you and I put together who think they could be pretty good if they did that. Who the hell knows more football than me? Well, there's a list of people, but... Name them. Kyle Whittingham. No. <laughs> Morgan Scali. Kalani Sataki. Jay Hill. No, Aaron Roderick. Guys, no, Sataki. They're specialized. Sharif Shah. I was going to say Sharif Shah. Yeah, I don't know. I just started throwing at Herm Edwards, I'll give you. Okay, Herm Edwards. Well, because, you know. Hey, you, you, if you want to throw any, Herm Edwards Herm, out there. I get it. 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 <laughs> Antonio well, Pierce. Oh, yeah. I hope they do anyway. <laughs> Uh-oh. What if they don't? Yeah, then they're right back to where they've always been. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because if you look at the depth chart that they put out yesterday, and, and Kyle always scoffs at the Jeff at the uh, depth chart. He always says it was his go-to guy for like the polls or the depth chart is Jeff Rudy, uh, who got a promotion. He was um, I don't know exactly what his title is, but he's been with the program. He's for now associate years. athletic director. He's been yeah, he's been around the program a number of years. Good dude. Uh, but if you look at the depth chart that was put out. As recently as yesterday, because yesterday was the first the start of uh, spring practice, they list two tight ends. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but they listed they had tight end listed twice. So they had tight end, 
Cole Fotheringham, and then they had Kincaid, the kid they got from San Diego, uh, where he played uh, University of uh, San Diego, I think it was. And then they've got tight end, Brant Keithy, and then his backup, uh, Kenny Niamatololo's son. Uh, so they already have that this year. Did you know that? I did not look that closely at it. I've been disappointed I when I have looked closely at two deeps before because I've seen like 14 or 15 positions listed. Slot well, receiver, two tight ends, three wide receivers. Let's see. Well, obviously you're not doing that. Tackle, guard, center, guard, mm-hmm. tackle. So it's that. That's the traditional five. So did they only right? list one wide receiver on the depth chart? Well, I'm going to go through it right now. So tight end, two tight ends. Now we're up to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they actually do have a quarterback. I know it's the U of U. We're surprised. hey yeah. <laughs> That's eight. Uh, running back, nine. And uh, three receivers. That's 12. So you don't buy that they're going to go with the they're not going to. This is not the Canadian Football League. <laughs> no, I don't, no, 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 no. I think I'm that not, they will. I, I understand that. They will, go, they will go double tight ends at times, but they're clearly going to use a slot receiver times. at times. So at times doesn't tell us much because I what agree. I don't know is, is at times like 10% of the snaps or 70% of the snaps or somewhere in between. Well, I think that you should go with what your talent dictates. You know, we've heard coaches a million times over just trying to get the 11 best players yep. out on the field. And if that includes, in this case, now Fotheringham and Keithy, these guys are vets. Yep. Seems like they've been there about seven, eight years. They're both juniors, but they've, they've been playing a lot since freshmen, so that seems like they've been there a long time. But the fact is both of these kids have a significant amount of experience and they look to be good players for sure. So go ahead and do that, uh, and play to your strengths, whatever your strengths are. Just I keep coming back to Kyle believes a uh, a spread offense is the most difficult to defend, and so that's basically what he's been advocating for. But I will say this: that uh, as far as freedom. As an offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig has it. He, or as much as you can have under Kyle. You know, I think, and, and we've spoken to Norm. Norm Chow was just there for a season. And, you know, talk about respected. You don't get anybody who's more respected from the offensive coordinator's position than Norm Chow. And we've spoken to him on the air, and I've spoken to him off the air a million times. And, and he'll say, he'll tell you, and I don't think it's any secret, you know, coaching for Kyle can be tough. Uh, but he felt like he had the freedom to do what he did, and plus they had, they had limited talent. Yeah. He was working with a D two or something. Yeah, no, it was D two. Uh, it was a D two transfer yeah. quarterback, so he right. couldn't really. He wasn't going to open right. it up. <laughs> Just start right. flinging it all over yeah. the field. And the thing about double tight ends is, if your tight ends are athletic enough, and they can line up like slot receivers, they don't have to line up like seven oh, blocks Keithy of granite can. or whatever. Oh, Keithy absolutely has the athleticism to do it. Yeah. So the question is, then you can play with one tight end and he's in the slot. Do you move another guy into a slot so it looks like four wide? You know, if, if you trust one of these well, other you guys. Have Covey. That's where Covey is. Covey, if he comes in as a slot receiver, right. Well, that's all he is. Not, I mean, from the receiver standpoint, that's all he is. Uh, he, they use him in, in ball-carrying situations, too. But you got to be careful because most likely he's always going to be the smallest guy out on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, obviously in height and in weight, which is why I love the kid. Why I love the kid for a million different reasons. 
but you root for the underdog physically in a game of football. And he's as tough as they come, but there's only so much toughness that he has in him given his size limitations. You know, if he was at 6'2", he'd probably be at Alabama. Uh, But you look at these other guys there, and they don't really have any proven commodities. Solomon Enos is your number one guy. I mean, they basically lost two guys that I think you would put ahead of Solomon. Now, that doesn't mean Solomon can't have a great season. They're going. They're going to need. He's going to need to come up big. That's for sure. Because you just can't go to the tight ends and the slot guy exclusively, or the kids coming out of the backfield. You've got to get the ball downfield, and that obviously is going to come from your wideouts uh, more often than not. And it looks like if if Enos comes through, and has a big time season and can get. And I hesitate to say it, but if he can get 700, 800 yards of receiving. Uh, which doesn't seem outrageous, but for Utah it sort of seems outrageous because the last 1,000-yarder was Dress Anderson, and it seems like uh, that was a long time ago that uh, Dress Anderson was That's because it was a long time ago. For Utah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think Dress might have been a, Ma- a Mountain West recruit. Uh, maybe not. I think he was, uh, that just to give you an idea of how long. Now, obviously, he played in the Pac-12 as those guys made the transition. But they're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to do that. If they, I, th- I think now, just winning the South, this would be nice this year because it's with a new group of guys. Uh, but at the same time, if you're doing it with Brewer, and he's your guy taking the majority of your steps, well, he's gone. So it's not like you're really building something. You know, that was what was cool uh, three years ago when you won the South. You knew you had just about everybody in your dog coming back, and you were going to be the overwhelming favorite, which they were. I think they, what, uh, 36 votes, and they got 34 or 35, and they got 33. They were the overwhelming favorite, and they did win the South. So I can't say winning the South and losing in the title game would be a disappointing season this year. It would be a disappointment to lose that individual game when you got there, obviously. But with a new group of kids, it seems like winning the South, hard for me to label that as a bad season, a disappointing season, since you have so many kids. But at the same time, if you want to win that game and get to the Rose Bowl, you're going to have to have big plays downfield. And a kid like Enos right now is your guy. Now, they may bring in two or three kids, grad transfers, whatever. I don't know. I would think they'd have a hard time getting top-end guys who are receivers to commit because you had potential top-end guys leave your program who've already been in it for many years. See what I'm saying? I get that. I just wonder. You always talk about the different, uh, the different mental makeup of a transfer versus a high school kid, and uh-huh. hard sell to the high school kid. I'm not saying it can't be done. At some point, you know, that'll break through. I don't think it's like they're never going to have a thousand yard receiver again. But it also the way it's going, it wouldn't surprise me if the next thousand yard receiver they had was a transfer and somebody who says, "Well, they got Brewer there." And it doesn't look like I got a number one receiver on the roster. I got one year. I should go there and do it. I mean, what are my options if I go somewhere else? It's like the yeah. NBA. You always talk about with the free agents. Well, yeah, how many years am I getting? How much money am I getting? But how much playing time am I getting? Because that's going to determine my next deal. True. But if that, that stuff has been in existence now for several weeks and months, why haven't they done it? 
Yeah, uh, an excellent question. And it, and it may be that they don't land talent, and that is why I brought up, hey, how much double tight end are they going to play? Because that's where most of the receiving talent, well, not all, but that's where most of the receiving talent looks like it is on the roster. I think listing two tight ends and you can't play with 12, I understand that, but that's a start in that direction. Well, it is a start because if they don't list two tight ends, then they're not going to do it. And Kyle, last year in that you know that crazy, stupid season that we had, seemed like he went out of his way several times to mention Kincaid. Yes, I uh, completely agree. And, and so, so that makes me think the kid's got something. He's not going to keep mentioning him if he's not if there's not something there. I didn't, we didn't see enough of really anybody outside of Ty Jordan to to get excited offensively. Now we didn't really need to see much more out of Keithy or Covey to be excited about them anyway. But I'm talking about new players. Uh, Ty Jordan, we saw a lot, and yes, we were super excited. And the tragedy is unspeakable. I think he would have played in the NFL. Blah blah blah. All that stuff. Uh, but everybody else, Kincaid, I really didn't see enough of him to think, wow, man, he could really be something special this season. They can rely on him for X amount of catches. But I do know Kyle kept bringing him up, which means he saw something in the kid when they were practicing. I think if they're going to commit to double tight ends, at minimum, they've got to really believe in three of them. And clearly, Keithy's proven. And I think they believe in Fotheringham. Uh, he hasn't piled up the receiving stats to the degree Keithy has, but I think he's got enough snaps and he's played enough as a young player that they got, you know, they, they like what they've seen and they've got even higher expectations. But you better have a third, if not a fourth one, if you're really going to commit to that, you know? And you don't have to have two guys all the time. I mean, you've got a slot receiver you can go to for some snaps, you know, maybe some obvious passing situations. Uh, but the advantage of having two tight ends out there who can block and who at any moment, you know, the quarterback can just, you know, raise an arm, whatever their code word is, and those two guys can flex out and become slot receivers, or they could be out and they could come in and, and all of a sudden got the power run. And just because it looks like power run doesn't mean they aren't running downfield, you know, some seam route for 20 yards. I mean, it, it seems like it would give them a lot of flexibility. And there are other people making a lot of money who've had a lot of success – I mean, what are the Patriots doing? Looks like they're getting ready to play double tight ends. So, and how long ago was it you heard that? Oh my gosh, it was. Well, I can tell you specifically. I can't remember the year, but it was regarding Dalton Schultz. And whenever he was coming out of Bingham, so go back and figure that out. I, I don't know when that was off yeah. the top of my head. But, but the point been, is it was a while ago. Yeah, the, that's the, six or so years ago now. The yeah. conversation was, we're going to miss on this kid because we don't feature the tight ends and we need to do it. This is who we are. This is who we should be. We need to pattern our recruiting after Stanford because the type of kids that are in our area lend itself towards that. The type of kids that we can recruit and have most success with, these are the kids. And Dalton, he's going to go to Stanford. To me... Uh, I think anybody who gets a full, especially in the West, if you get a full scholarship, which is what football is, to Stanford, you should say yes. <laughs> That's just my personal opinion. If they, if you get admitted and they offer you 
I don't even care if the team sucks. You should still say yes. <laughs> it's Stanford, baby. <laughs> yes, because you're, you're you're setting yourself up big time. And they knew they weren't going to be able to get him, and he was right down the street, and it was frustrating. And that's where that whole conversation emanated. So he was a I true had. freshman in 2014. So you probably had that. His senior year would have been 20 the the high school season mm-hmm. of 2013. Yeah, that's that's it that's was like, it would have been so it would have been the season seven and a half years or now. maybe yeah. maybe spring ball of fourteen when I had that. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the roster sets up, and with transfers, you don't know for sure. Um, but the two deep gives you a hint that's where it could be going, and we'll have to see how that plays out. You know, see what they land, see who they land in the transfer portal. All right, DJ PK, the Jazz and the Celtics tonight. You'll hear Tim Lacombe on the broadcast here. He does the Jazz pregame, halftime, and postgame. With uh, Jake Scott, I almost said Jake Hatch, with Jake Scott, and uh, we will talk with him next. Tim uh, had a tweet out, and we're going to ask him about this, specifically what's wrong with the Jazz, specifically what is wrong with the offense, and one thing he would change immediately, and he will tell you about that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kyle Whittingham, kind enough to join us. What's the one thing that you absolutely have to get out of this spring camp? We have got to start to get the quarterback position settled. And I say get started on it because with Cam not involved, you can't have a definitive uh, answer or conclusion. But we've got to get a great evaluation on the guys that are going to be taking reps and make sure we get those guys situated in the depth chart properly and decide who going into fall is going to you know be that third guy because Cam and, and Charlie are obviously battle for that starting job and so we've got to get those guys behind them situated. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network. Brought to you by SNS Roofing. This segment is brought to you by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now, where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound two fifty and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe. Tim, is this the party hounds? Yeah, that's just like a little studio jerker, you know, run through. So yeah, it's not you live on tour. No, no. That's what I we, want. we haven't quite hit live on tour yet. We're gonna. If uh, COVID keeps cooperating, we're gonna have that party we put on hold. So, there it is, cross, man. There it is, party hounds. You saw an amphitheater. Let's go. I don't know if we can fill that, but DJ, you'll be there. It'll be in an undisclosed location. <laughs> an undisclosed location. A little pop-up concert. Tim, you caught my eye on Twitter with a very specific tease. The old ball coach, hearkening back to your BYU days. I suspect hearkening back to a film room with Rick Majerus when you worked at the University of Utah. What's wrong with the Jazz? They're 4-5 and five in the last nine. The turnovers are driving everyone to distraction. 20-whatever against, uh, against Houston, and they won. And then 14, a lot of them off the dribble, poorly timed, that led to layups going the other way for the Golden State Warriors. And you put out a tweet, too much dribbling. Get back to passing. Would you like to elaborate and explain to the people 
Well, I think, you know, if you watch this team play, which uh, I would imagine all the diehards at 8.30 a.m., uh, you know, are, are jazz people. So we watch this team, and I think that one of the things that's been pretty evident through the year is, it, you know, one of the, the words I'd use to tag this team is just how incredibly unselfish they are. Um, you know, and teams have done a good job of showing different looks to really kind of confound, confuse, make the jazz, you know, uh, just not be in rhythm. And in that particular tweet, I think, was motivated. I think, you know, Quinn has talked a lot about really quick decisions. Point five is what he talks about. When you catch the ball, you really have a quick decision to drive, shoot, or pass. And I think that that is one area. I think the Jazz are are holding on to it a little bit too long, waiting for a matchup to, uh, you know, to develop or – um, you know, just trying to analyze too much, driving into crowds, things like that, that we just didn't see a ton of that uh, early on. I think the ball was was freely moving. And for whatever reason, I think teams go through, um, you know, I guess David Locke referred to it yesterday's storm. You know, teams go through storms during the year. And I would say they're in the midst of one right now. They just uh, having a hard time finding that same type of rhythm they had earlier on in, the positive thing is it's same coaching staff, same coaches, everybody, you know, understanding what needs to be done. Now it's just a matter of being able to find that groove again, getting that rhythm, um, and get back to winning. Okay, so what uh, has to happen immediately first quarter to be able to get to that rhythm? You know, I think it really takes one guy to to start it and – um, you know, we just have not seen a lot of those possessions for a while, at least a couple of games where, you know, the ball's driven and kicked and driven and kicked and it's moved and guys are basically ending up with, with catch and shoot, feet set, threes. Um, and really that's the play that or drives or rolls or what the Jazz are kind of looking for. I would just think that, uh, you know, it's something that they're, they're going to face an opponent tonight and the Celtics is very – capable defensively and can cause some issues. Um, but I, I think the Jazz just need to figure out how to play with a little bit more force. And once two come to the ball, just move it. Um, make it a simple game. And the defense will always tell you where the ball should go if you pay attention. Um, and the Jazz have been great at it. So it's just a matter of getting back to that. So it seemed like some of what the Warriors were doing was the simplest stuff. They Playing the way that uh, a lot of teams play in high school the way a long time ago my team played in high school, and nobody does it in the NBA because it's too easy to solve for these guys. But when they were driving and Bogey was losing the ball, uh, the closest help defender was coming in and trying to flick the ball away. And in the NBA, you often don't rotate from the closest help defender. You don't leave the short corner because it's too easy a pass and too easy a shot for NBA guys. That's something you do to 17-year-olds who aren't as good. And yet, because it's never done, maybe that's why it was so effective. But we've been seeing all these teams like just clinging to three-point shooters, and they were leaving the closest three-point shooter trying to create a turnover, and it worked, and it seemed to get the Jazz out of their rhythm. Are they going to see more of that, or was that really a one-time deal? Uh, you know, it's a great observation, first of all. I mean, I just have, it is marvel at your basketball eye, really. It's, it's amazing how you pull stuff out, Deej. 
Uh, wait, I called you Deej again. Um, yeah, the whole thing kind of felt uh, like a weak compliment there. You're taking a shot, Sorry. to be honest. I see what you did. No, I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I, oh, think it's an, okay. I think it's a great point, and I think what the Jazz did not do is just make that simple play, that simple read. Um, you know, very rarely do you see anybody help off the strong side. Um, all help is usually disguised, you know, coming from the weak side. And this year, people have been really, really – it's been interesting because they've actually switched pick and roll and then rotated, you know, with the biggest guy on the weak side to get rid of the guard and the pick and roll on the roll. So guys have done a great job of disguising looks, but you're right. Golden State just basically, um, they just dug off of the nearest guys and whether that was a shooter in the corner or, you know, coming maybe coming off of, of Rudy guys were really active and, Surprisingly, the Jazz didn't make a whole lot of uh, adjustments to that, and, and they were all night. It seemed like you know at a pivotal moment there was just those turnovers for touchdowns that kill you. Um, so, uh, am, am I concerned? Yeah, I'm concerned, uh, but I don't lose sleep over it because again, I think you know it'd be one thing if if the Jazz lost pivotal pieces or to injury or anything like that. We've got the same guys, um, and it is a thing where you know. It looks from the outside like guys just aren't playing very hard or trying very hard, but it is kind of the it is the storm, the lull of the season. You just got to figure out how to get through that piece and get some positive things happening again. All right, so don't lose sleep. The lull of the season, the storm, all those things. What level of nervousness do you have, if any? Well, no, I'm definitely nervous because I. I think what this team hung its hat on for me was they really did start as much as everybody wanted to talk about the offense and and, uh, gosh, it's fun. You know, the number of threes they're making and, um, and the, like I said, the unselfish ball movement, all that stuff. But really this team is only going to be as good as they, as their defense really locks in. Um, and that's really been the most concerning part to me since, you know, of this, of this little stretch here, a couple games before the all-star break and, and to now, is their defensive numbers have, have really gotten, uh, you know, gone in the wrong direction. And I, I feel like it's just got to be a re-emphasis. Um, you know, Rudy was unbelievable the other night, but he can only do so much, and everybody else has kind of got to dive in and do that too. Again, I'm not, I'm not taking shots or questioning effort, anything like that. I think it's just a matter of everybody being on the same page and getting – the result that they were getting earlier. Tim Lacombe joining us, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. And as much as it's always about the Jazz and you play the game, not your opponent, especially when the opponents come so fast every night, the Celtics present some unique challenges, maybe some unique opportunities too. I look at them and I see a couple of young stars, and if the Jazz are in the middle of a storm, well, so are the Celtics, and they're hanging their hat on 23- and 24-year-olds, 23 and 24-year-olds who are pretty accomplished by NBA standards. You know, they've been to conference finals and all that. Uh, but the expectations to go to NBA finals and they're only a couple games over 500. So how much an opportunity is this for the Jazz? How much does the elite athletic ability and the skill of these two guys present a major problem? And how much does the Celtics' lack of depth and opportunity for a Jazz team that we've seen have real success while the bench is on the floor? We've, we've seen the bench go on runs. Yeah, we have. Uh, and I think that's part of what was a bummer the other night is, you know, Golden State has been atrocious without uh, Draymond 
and Steph Curry on the floor as they should be because they've got a bunch of young guys and and transitional guys and and uh, you know guys that are playing two way deals and that sort of thing. So I, I guess from the Celtics' point of view, the, the part that is encouraging is the Celtics are you know have been kind of weathering a storm. I think the piece that stands out with difficulty is Tatum and Brown, particularly his ability to play in isolation uh, and really attack the defense uh, because those two guys are, are phenomenal at it. And, um, you know, the Jazz have to really figure out a, a nice strategy to, to really kind of slow them down. And then offensively, honestly, I, if, I, think, I think watching this film, watching the tape, I would just encourage the guys to get back to making a, a simple play, an easy play. Um, you know, I think at times it may be one too, dribble too many, uh, but the, at the very sign of a second defender, that ball should really be moving because if you move the ball there, then the defense has to react and you have them basically reacting what you're doing as opposed to uh, constantly in reaction to what they're doing. And, and I think that was a comment that was made. I can't remember by who. It might have been Rudy after the game. Um, against the Warriors, but he talked about being uh, being the one that dictates to the defense and the offense on the other team what's going to happen that night. And the Jazz have just been too much in reaction as opposed to dictating. And, and that's part of the force we talk about a lot and Quinn talks about. Um, but I honestly believe offensively it hinges on just making a simple play and doing it early in the game, making a simple play for a buddy, letting him kick in a shot, get a good feeling going. Um, rally defensively, get some stops, and get out and go. And that's really that's the that's the simple, like uh, Cliff Notes version of what this Jazz team needs to do. Is Ainge which the I know you guys of... you guys did a lot of Cliff Notes because because it beat um, going to class. Because <laughs> it beat going to class, you're dang right. Go a, ahead. There was a beach 150 yards away. Is Ainge the godfather of BYU basketball? Is Ames the godfather of BYU basketball? Yes, I would say he probably is. Um, I would say there's several, but I would say he's the he's the Don. I like it. I refer to him as Don Ainge. Yeah, can we get a little music? Let me ask you, I've got a problem with an inbounds play. I need to get a guy freed up for a three. This is what the average media member and the average uh, BYU fan commuting right now, this is what they wonder. How much in the middle of the season, nice, Yach, well done. Well done, Yach. In an average season when the NBA games are coming fast and furious and he's got to scout college kids and BYU's got a couple games a week, how much back-channel communication is there? How many, how many texts and phone calls over the course of the year? Is it two? Is it 20? Is it 200? How big a save does the Don have? With the Don? Uh, you know, at least from my experience, the Don was very considerate to check in several times a year. Um, sometimes with, uh, you know, when you were when things were going great and just uh, offering support and encouragement and excitement. And likewise, when things were tough. Um, but I will tell you, the Don himself is a wonderful guy. And... I couldn't be more happy for that whole situation, you know, BYU getting to the tournament and 
I know that probably makes the Don happy. He's on a, bar, a park bench in Boston in the North End somewhere, you know, feeding pigeons and uh, figuring out how they're going to beat the Jets tonight. <laughs> so what about this matchup, either Michigan State or UC Los Angeles? Well, I, I did find it funny. I mean, I have to, I have to chuckle, and I think I've made it fairly clear via Twitter and such that <clears throat> to me, the NCAA is it's not my favorite org, um, but it, it is funny because BYU gets a six, which is totally deserved, um, and I'm so happy for those guys for that. But here's your six. You're not going to know who you're going to play for a couple days. And, oh, by the way, it's either Michigan State or UCLA, which you guys probably have done the math. What's the, the number of titles amongst them? Thirteen. I knew you'd done the math. Thirteen. Um, oh, no, by the way, the one team, like seriously, I'm watching teams all year long. Uh, the one team I would say, at least the BYU team I was with, I wouldn't want to see the length, athleticism, craziness is Texas. And so they get through that first one in Texas sitting there. But, uh, you know, Mark Pope said when he got the job, he's going to do things that haven't been done. And, um, and he's doing an awesome job at setting a great foundation. So, uh, you know, hey, they're, they're one of two teams in the state that made the tournament, and we got to rally around them. And, and, uh, or else the Don won't be happy with you. It's going to be Michigan State, isn't it? UCLA lost to Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Oregon State. They got a four-game losing streak. All four of those teams are in the NCAA tournament. They've had a couple of key injuries. UCLA's not winning that game. It's going to be BYU-Michigan no, State, right? No, I mean, one, w- one would think, uh, obviously crazy stuff happens, but the other X factor in that to me is just Tom Izzo's experience. Um, you know, he's he, when tournament time rolls around, I watch it time and time again. He, he brought teams in, you know, from all different uh, – he had teams that were were playing great and teams that were were okay. And when March rolls around and gets to the tournament, he just does an awesome job. So um, the one thing about Michigan State, they just keep bringing big dudes on the floor, knocking you around. And so if it is BYU Michigan State, if it does come to that, because I think if it's BYU CLA, I think BYU wins by you know double digits probably. The Michigan State game will be a battle. Um, I still believe BYU can find a way to win it. But, um, you know, Izzo does a great job of just kind of mucking the game up and, and playing really physical. And they just keep bringing guys off the bench that can do that. It's crazy to me when you look at Michigan State's their season. It's not anything close to what we've seen out of that program for so many years. But at the same time, they've beaten two one seeds and a two seed. That scares the crap out of me from the BYU perspective. Oh, for sure. Um, again, I think that just goes to – you know, the years that we, we sat in that room and Texas A&M popped up a couple, two years in a row. And really, if you could drop at that point, kryptonite for us at that time was was uh, very physical, long, athletic. Um, and we just had a difficult time. You know, they switched everything. We had a difficult time finding a way to get shots. And I and I talked about this for a couple of weeks, you know, that once the matchups come out, that's when you can really determine – how far a team can go. On one hand, I really like BYU's matchup because UCLA and Michigan State are down. They haven't had stellar years. Um, the, the converse of that is that it's UCLA and Michigan State, and they've got great players. You know, you're, Just by virtue of who they are, they're going to have a, a pretty good amount of talent. 
Um, so the first round, I think, uh, is going to be tougher than, like, for instance, you know, if you were to draw uh, an 11 that um, is, a, is a non-power five but maybe doesn't have all of the, the things that those two teams have. But to me, the biggest bummer is just having to wait so long to determine who you're going to play and then kind of have that short window. Um, you can have two guys working on it. I understand that. You can have a guy scouting UCLA and Michigan State. But it is really tricky when you're trying to figure out with your team what to focus on that week in practice. Um, what we used to do in a situation like this is we would just tear a couple of the best actions away from both teams. We wouldn't identify them. You know, we just kind of keep a generic um, defensive segment where we just guard, you know, maybe three or four of one team's actions and three or four of the others just so that we could get a look and it would help us in our prep. Well, there's also time to watch Hoosiers and then take them to the gym you're going to play in, and Mark Pope pulls out the tape and measures the rim in the free throw line. Am I right? I mean, that movie's older I, than I these. would imagine that would probably be a good time to do that. Right, yeah. You're actually in that building, right? Yeah, and the, and this mo- the movie is well, way older you than do that? That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You're going in acknowledging you're the overwhelming underdog, so we're going to measure. We're the sixth seed, and we're going to measure the hoop. That whole thing was the little guy beating the big guy. You're defeated the second you have that attitude. Get out of here. No, yeah. it's the magic of a big win in March. We're living <laughs> no the way. dream. There will be okay. multiple wins in this building. So is Let Mark Few going to go do that? Then Mark Few's going to go do that then because it's the magic. No way. You're going in expecting to pack. You pack for two weeks minimum, and then you do your wash for the third week. Get out of town, man. That's the whole under, the whole premise of the Hoosiers thing is the underdog beating the teams from the higher classifications. Once BYU takes that attitude, get on the plane and come home then. Well, My hey, goodness, PK. that's the dumbest hey. thing I've heard. PK, BYU didn't take that approach. That was just a suggestion. Well, it's a dumb suggestion. By your partner. It's a dumb suggestion by my partner. <laughs> I've, heard, I've never been involved in one of these, but I've heard it was it would be like a traffic accident. So you I don't know. Who thinking that the you're the beast, man. I'm. I've been you in make so sure many you of them. Send them the the tape measure. I've been I've been in so many of them that I'm belted in. I've got the uh, I got the NASCAR headgear on and the airbags ready to deploy. Five point harness. Yeah, I got the five point harness. I am the airbag. Believe me, (laughs) I am the I am the airbag. Cuckoo, cuckoo! Is that what you're doing? You going Beatles on me? I am I'm the, the hot airbag. Cuckoo, cuckoo! I am the walrus. All right, Tim, we're way over, but that was fun. A little Godfather, a little Beatles. You got it all. What's the what's the line? If I ever if I ever denied you, <laughs> what is it, PK? Oh, what the Godfather? Yeah, if I ever died, I can't remember the great line. Dang it, I shouldn't have brought. DJ's it up. the God, he's the Don impersonator. It's actually one of his better ones. I do Can I do the Godfather. I do the Godfather and Kermit the Frog. Those are my go-to's. They're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> If we're not careful, Jake's going to be like, what do you say we go to break here? <laughs> yeah, like I, I highly suggest we go to break here. 
Tim, we appreciate it as always. We will hear you tonight with Jake Scott, Jazz pregame. It's an early one. You'll be home early tonight. 4.30 pregame, 5.30 the tip. It's on TNT and right here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 the Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Was the game itself an outlier, or do you think it's a problem area for the Jazz moving forward? I don't think they necessarily have an overall problem with turnovers, but look at the kind of turnover. If you want to throw the ball into the 20th row, knock yourself out, at least the team's (laughs) taking the ball out of bounds. But if you dribble too much and get your pocket picked and it's a dunk on the other side, that is a much different type of turnover. They had 14 total turnovers. 12 of them were live ball turnovers that led pretty much to 19 fast break points. That was the tough part. That is a poison the Jazz cannot abide. They just can't let themselves fall into that trap. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we got multiple questions of the day here, PK. And uh, one of them involves the Jazz. Uh, The investigation by the NBA is complete. They couldn't find any proof that what Elijah Millsap said happened in the meeting happened in the meeting, that Dennis Lindsay said any of those things. Uh, We know that Rudy Gobert came out after after the allegations were made. He was asked about it, and, and he was one of the few players who was on the team back there, and he said he was good friends with Millsap, and he'd never heard of it. And the uh, Millsap's agent represented him for two years and said he never heard anything about it. And uh, unlike the, uh, you know, what's going on with the governor of New York, where one person comes forward and then another person comes forward, nobody else came forward with any similar conversations of it. And it seems like it gets left there. The NBA says they can't prove that it happened. Uh, so what is the fallout for the Jazz going forward? And we got, uh, we got comments here on our Facebook page, and a lot of people are worried about how it impacts the team going forward. Cameron posts, no matter how innocent Lindsey is, everyone on Twitter will keep calling Utahns racist. It's insane how bad it can be. Examples when the NBA posted our new, jazz, uh, new jerseys, the top comment was, I'm surprised it's not a Klan robe. It got a ton of likes, and everyone was commenting on it. It's so frustrating. I can understand that. Yeah, but does anything change going forward? How much does this uh, resonate with people who have a preconception already? Roy, Royal Post, and this will probably frustrate people living in Oklahoma, but Royal Post, having lived in Oklahoma and in Utah, I have no idea how Utah is branded as the most racist place in the NBA. Well, I mean, I do. We can, we can ignore the church's history if we want. But, I mean, it's but that's it. <laughs> and there it is. So... Uh, I, the, the way I look at it is that you're, when you're involved in social media, which is why I've, I've tried to cut back as much as possible, uh, but I still need to do it for work purposes. Uh, when you're involved in that, you think that's your world. You know, We went through all these tweets and all this stuff. The reality is the people, in, that's a small minority who are involved in Twitter, and the people who comment on these things, it's, it's not that much in terms of the general population. They're, they're the minority. So, and also, too, these people who comment, 
they're not going to be NBA players who have an opportunity to decide where they're going to play NBA basketball. And I really believe that the NBA player, when he gets his free agency time, he has the knowledge and the sophistication to research it in-depthly. And then once you get past the superficial and then you get involved in what whatever organization is about, whoever it might be, and, you know, hopefully for you, speaking of that individual player, you've got several options. You investigate them deeply, so you come away with the understanding of the situation, and you're able to look past some stereotype by some ding-dong out on social media. So in that respect, I don't think it's going to have any long-lasting ramification any more than that is already out there. Now, the Millsap thing, if Dennis Lindsay didn't say it, if I'm Dennis Lindsay, I'm absolutely furious that I have been accused of this. And I would demand an apology. Now, Dennis probably isn't going to do that, but I like to pop off and get emotional. That's who I am. Uh, And if I was in that position, it might be entirely different, but I'll never be in that position. But you accuse me of basically being a racist and that how do you you know uh how do you come back from that yeah yeah how do you how do you you come back from that the thing is if he does what you suggest which is why he won't i don't think i haven't talked to him so i don't know but i would assume he's not going to do what you suggest is it just makes it a story longer and you know it's got to sting it's got to hurt um you know you can't, it's hard to prove the negative. It's hard to prove that this didn't happen. You know, when Quinn comes out and says, you know, he doesn't have any memory of it, but he can't imagine Dennis would say it. You know, why would you remember one season ending conversation with somebody who's not on the team? And it was five or six years ago. Unless it dictated being remembered. Right. Exactly. But again, it's proving the negative, you know. If it was said, you could probably remember it. If it right. wasn't said, why would you remember You could remember conversations that stand out, but that's right. the point. This conversation didn't stand, stand out. out. Yeah. When you were told to check your ego at the door by a former manager, <laughs> I still remember it. So do I. <laughs> right. Because right. it's not anything that had been said to you, and you re- we remember that. But any, And we probably had dozens of meetings that I couldn't recall, but yet I can recall that one. So by Quinn Snyder not being able to recall it, means that it was just basically the run-of-the-mill a season-ending exit interview like they have with every player every year, and he's already been coaching, what, seven, eight years now? So he's had over f- 50 of them. So, yeah, he can't remember that, which leads you to believe that it wasn't said because he can't remember it. If it was said, he probably would have remembered it. So I think for most fans, for Dennis personally, it's got to sting, but there's no point in demanding an apology that you're not going to get and making it a story for another day. So what? <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're not an NBA GM and you're not going to be an NBA GM. If somebody impugns my character, uh, Ben, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset to the highest level. And that, that's, that's strong stuff. I mean, but that's me. I try to exact revenge on anybody who's ever wronged me. What can I tell you, man? It's the way I was brought up. And <laughs> is it right? Right? No, probably not. But I can still recall every slight that I've ever had against me. <laughs> I mean, that that's just that's just nasty. And yet, it's just going to be okay. We just go on, and sun rises tomorrow, and we just go on. 
But yet if he said it, you believe he would have been fired. I do. I so do. that's extreme yeah. ends think, of the spectrum. I think off the um, the Zoom interview when, uh, when uh, Ryan Smith talked about um, uh, racism in the NBA and racism in society off of that, and also, as much as, and you talked about this earlier in the show, as much as you'd like to think people get to make mistakes, they get to apologize, and they get to, uh, you know, try to do better down the road, in a highly competitive environment, a racial comment in the NBA by a general manager, boy, I don't, I don't know that you overcome that. I, I don't know that you get a second chance mm-hmm. and that that would be a big hurdle. I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. Maybe you can remember. I can't think of a similar situation to compare it to, you know, a previous GM 10 or 20 or 30 years ago or whatever. Um, but I would think that would be really hard to overcome. Okay. Well, I'll hope, thankfully, we won't know. Right. Exactly. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh College football, we uh, heard from the Utes yesterday, and for you Ute fans, uh, an interesting debate. It kind of echoes what's going on with the Patriots. The roster may demand it, but will it happen? We'll get to that next. Stay with us.